Anya, you look all uh, all dolled up today. What's what's going I knew on? I was gonna. I knew I was gonna see you, and I wanted to make a nice impression on you since I haven't oh, seen you so face sweet. to face in a while. So I clearly, I, I returned the favor. My you my look cropped gap T-shirt. You look great. I know you don't watch Vanderpump Rules, but if you did, you would know that there was a comment made about Ariana Maddox wearing t-shirts and there was a uproar about the comment that was made about her and wearing t-shirts and I just want to say you're keeping up the good t-shirt trend for hot ladies wait what's wrong with the t-shirt her ex made a comment about her keeping on her t-shirt during sex and how that was not hot so now she's selling merch saying fuck me in this t-shirt and making a shit I feel ton of like, money. I feel like they collaborated on this. I, like, <laughs> I suspect there's some secret pact going on in the background where he's there might be. This. We never know. Um, reality I can guarantee is never reality. <laughs> These people are probably like if they hit each other, they're like, we can probably make money on this hate ship. Respect. Problem. I mean, listen, they are all making more money than we are with this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, they're making more money than we are with this podcast and our careers. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. We chose the wrong path. We, we chose, chose dignity. dignity. <laughs> Why? Why did we do that? I don't know. Sometimes I sit here and I'm like, you know what? If I had just like, just aimed a little less high. <laughs> right. Been happier. Why did we aim so high? Why did our parents uh, teach us to be ambitious? That was a mistake. But in happier news, uh, I I read something today that could really help a lot of families not be separated from their pets. And it's a bill that Representative Schiff uh, is sponsoring, and it's a bipartisan bill. And it's called Providing for Unhoused People with Pets, the PUP Act. And so essentially what it is, it's to help lower income families who are in public housing to be able to be stay with their pets so that they don't have to choose between finding a home or their animal, because a lot of public housing and doesn't allow certain breeds in particular to live in these buildings. And, you know, I think this is something that I have talked about with you before, even, I mean, with my sweet little Ruthie, right? When I was trying to find a place to live, just trying to find an apartment that allows animals, particularly in New York City, is very, very challenging. And if you have a certain breed, let's say like pit bulls, right? Like there's a lot of buildings that will not allow pit bulls in buildings. And I cannot imagine what it would be like to have to choose, especially if you're very limited in your op- options financially, right? To have to choose between your pet or having a place to live because we really just as a society at times undervalue um, the impact that pets have in our lives in terms of just like creating emotional stability. And some of these people too might have been okay at a certain time financially, but then got put in a tough spot and they had their animal before they hit hard times. And so what are they supposed to do? Like just get rid of their animal 
just because they hit a rough spot in their lives. Like that to me doesn't seem fair. It's an issue I see come up a lot on my, my Aussie Facebook groups, actually. A lot of times people will post and say that they need to rehome their dog. And I would say the top reasons that a dog gets is usually rehomed uh, bites, which can be a, you know, temperament, but also bad training. And then people moving and saying, you know, the place that I'm going to, the apartment building doesn't allow pets. So I need to rehome my dog. And, you know, that the comment section can get really nasty because there are people who say, how, how could you do that? Why don't you find a place to live that allows dogs? How could you make a decision like this? You know, not taking into consideration your entire family, including your pets. So I, I understand like some people, you don't have a choice. I also do think there are people who probably were not thinking and got pets and didn't really consider that there are places that don't allow them. And what does it mean if you don't have a ton of options and you know, you've, you got this thing, but you didn't really think through what it was going to look like long-term. So I, I see both sides of the argument, but I think for public housing in particular, and the fact that you're considering people who are lower income, like anything that you can do to help stabilize their lives is, is a positive. When I first moved to New York in 2017, I had two dogs, Bambi and Lincoln, little Chihuahua mixes. And I was not in a great place financially, but I was moving here trying to follow my dreams. And I, on one, I couldn't afford my own place at the time, which limited my options even more because most people did not want someone moving in with two yappy little chihuahuas, right? So that, that was one hurdle that I had to overcome. Um, and I can't tell you how many, I, I, I mean, I must've looked at dozens of apartments or went and talked to dozens of people trying to find a place to live that I could afford and I couldn't. And then I finally found a little studio, a little <laughs> shitty studio that was like, we accept dogs. It'll be fine. And I was uh, subletting a place at the time. And then I had moved in some of my stuff. And then the day of my actual move-in day, the woman who owned the studio called me and was like, I made a big mistake. I did not realize the HOA does not allow animals in this building. And so I thought I had had a solution to my problem, and it turned out I didn't. And so I ended up staying with a friend for two months with my dog sleeping on her couch and I realized I just at the, I just felt so desperate. Like, I didn't know what to do as far as what I was going to do with these dogs more than anything. Like, that was the biggest stressor for me. And thankfully, my mom stepped up and she was like, I'll take your dogs for the time being. And, you know, you figure out your life, get settled. Well, now they're her dogs. <laughs> I was about to say, uh, it sounds like a foster, <laughs> a babysitting fail. Yeah, yeah. It turned out. I mean, I think in like the long run, it turned out to be okay in the in the sense of my dogs, you know, Lincoln and Bambi, living the best life. My mom makes her food from scratch. They have a huge backyard. She installed the doggy door so they can go in and out whenever they want. They have playmates with my sister's dogs. So, like, I think for me. 
it was an optimal situation as far as an outcome that could have happened given what I was faced, but it was still very heartbreaking. I remember when I went back to Oklahoma to take the dogs to my mom, I was a total wreck. I missed them and I still miss them. They are annoying. They are annoying, <laughs> but I miss them. But I can't imagine having to permanently be separated from them because the only thing that made the choice slightly easier was the fact that they were going with my mom and I knew I would be able to right. keep seeing them and that I wasn't just going to be giving them to some stranger that otherwise I probably would never see again. So I'm, I'm hopeful. I hope that this bill does pass because I think particularly people like when you're in financial distress, my animals provided me so much comfort and love and support when I was broke as hell. <laughs> so, <laughs> but they got the good food. I didn't, they did. <laughs> I guess you're a good pet mom, right? Like you, you yeah. prioritize them. So um, that's cool. I'll, I'll be interested to see um, if that gets, that gets passed through. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm excited for our episode today. I am as well. I was really surprised when you brought this up. I'm like, what on earth was she watching that planted this little idea in her head? I actually don't even know what, oh, you know what it was? It was an Instagram post from a history of dogs, a history of dogs account that wrote a quick little description on uh, how 101 Dalmatians was animated. And I thought, man, I have not watched that movie in a long time. The animated version and the one that came out in 1996 with Glenn Close as Corella DeVille. And I thought we should do a little deep dive into the background of 101 Dalmatians, how the movie was made. And I have some... Opinions after rewatching it last <laughs> night, uh, <laughs> but I want to I want to take people through. Wait, when is the last time you have watched the movie? Honestly, probably when I was ten, and it was my favorite movie of all time. Anya, I it you was? Can ask my parents. Yeah, I think I watched it. It like more than once a week. I maybe watched that movie or parts of that movie almost every single day because I loved it so much. It was like by far my favorite movie as a kid. I love dogs. All I wanted was a dog. And like, again, I'll ask my mom, like when I see her this weekend, but I've probably seen that movie hundreds and hundreds of times. Did, was it the animated version or was it the, the animated version? Okay. Okay. Yeah. So you watched the, the animated, animated version hundreds and hundreds of times. Interesting. Okay. I was more of a live action chick. That was more my jam. <laughs> Give me the real thing, baby. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to, before I dive into the the movie that was made in 1996 and give a little bit of background on that, the animated film as well. Uh, I want to share some background on the author of the book. So 101 Dalmatians movie is based off of the 1956 children's novel by Dodie Smith. And it was called the 101 Dalmatians, not 101, the, okay. Now Dodie Smith lived in England. She also 
had nine Dalmatians. She was a huge Dalmatian lover. So this book was very much inspired by her personal love of Dalmatians. Um, And she ended up writing a prequel to, or a sequel to the book called The Starlight Barking. And this is the best description that I found that I thought was the funniest. It said, the story saw every human on Earth plunged into a deep sleep while an intergalactic dog, God, came to Earth to save all the canines from the threat of nuclear war and owner abuse. Surprisingly- I love this. uh, I don't know why Disney did not make this the sequel to 101 Dalmatians, but it was 101 Dalmatians that really kind of set the course for Smith's career. I mean, it really just changed her life completely. And the movie ended up having a bigger impact on society than we realized. And what's even funnier is Pongo, who's one of the main dogs in 101 Dalmatians, was her first Dalmatian. Her her first dog's uh, name was Pongo. Um. And there's a quote from the actual book that I really loved when I was doing research on her, which I think reads so true. And it says, like many other much loved humans, they believed they owned their dogs instead of realizing that their dogs owned them. Oh, isn't that the truth? <laughs> Is Right? I mean, it doesn't get more real than that. <laughs> right? I'm looking down at the floor at this little terror. So I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, he's my dog. But like, please, we're the ones on the other end of the leash. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. So let's go into the movie, though. I want to talk about the movie itself. And I'm going to talk more about the the movie made in 1996, a live action film. So let's let's do a little recap so the scene opens with pongo pulling open the shower curtain he's pulls off the blanket from his owner roger who's played by jeff daniels pongo turns on the coffee pot brings in the milk i mean this dog is smart smart as hell like he can do everything it appears that this man child needs a dog to take care of him. I mean, he right, seems he's like not a, married, so he needs he's somebody not married. to, you know, he, he's like a teenager. Coffee. His dog is his mom. Pongo is his dad, his mom, everything. Right. But what was funny is cuts to a scene of Pongo and Roger in the park and Roger's a video game designer. And he's talking to Pongo about how nervous he is and excited he is for this new opportunity for this game he's designing and how it could change your life, yada, yada, yada. And I was like, this is probably one of the most relatable scenes in the movie right now, because I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with Ruthie that are very similar to that about me just talking to her about things that I'm going through. And she's just a list, good listening ear. You know, sometimes you just need someone to listen. You don't need anyone to give you advice. Just need them to listen. <laughs> so then... Cuts to a cute, sweet meet of Anita, who's in the dog park with her Dalmatian. And Pongo sees her Dalmatian, whose name is Perdita, and chases after her while Jeff Daniels is riding with him on his bike. 
and they zoom through the park and Jeff Daniels gets thrown into a pond and Pongo runs to Perdita and then Jeff Daniels runs up and mixes up the two Dalmatians and tries to take Perdita home and Anita's like, no, that's my dog. And then a few scenes later, they're married, living in a house together with their two Dalmatians. All right. In comes Cruella. Corella is Anita's boss. Corella has a fashion line. Anita's a designer. And Corella loves this design that Anita put together that has spots all over it. Corella has cow spots and tiger stripes and all her other designs. But then she sees these spots and asks what they're inspired by. And Anita says it's her dog. So this is where the idea that Corella gets implanted in her mind that she's just going to skin a bunch of Dalmatians for their fur and make coats out of them, okay? And when you look back this on this so movie, bonkers. like, it is so dark and so sad. <laughs> like, it's done in this cutesy way, like, like, it's not a big deal, but it's pretty dark. It's a little <laughs> weird. <laughs> right it's like i'm watching 1996 it's a little weird yeah watching this as an adult you're like man whoever i mean this was not the original book this was not how the book is outlined and in the book corella is a socialite who's married to a wealthy man and who just happens to be kind of just crazy and loves to wear fur coats now she does steal the puppies in the book but it's it's not as she's not as sadistic as the character in the movie plays her to be. Yeah, she's just like a a mentally ill rich woman in the, mm-hmm. the OG. In the OG, right? And I think most wealthy women are probably mentally ill <laughs> <laughs> cuz they have access to all the things that can make you mentally ill. <laughs> But it's fun in the moment. Um, (laughs) So Corella comes to visit Roger and Anita at their home uh, after Perdita and Pongo end up boinking and Perdita gets pregnant and has a litter of 15 puppies. And Corella writes them a check for 7,500 pounds saying, I want to buy your puppies. They refuse. Roger says no. Anita says no. Then Corella fires Anita and then starts this plot that they are going to steal these dogs. Now, when they said 15 puppies were born in this litter, I took a moment because I was, man, 15 puppies? That's a lot of dogs, right? For a, a, a dog, ton of dogs for a dog to have. I had never but heard I did, that before. I did a little research, and so a normal puppy litter size varies from one to twelve. So it's not to- totally inconceivable that a dog could have fifteen puppies in a litter, but it obviously is dependent on the size of the breed. So the world record for a litter is 24 puppies, which was birthed by a Neapolitanian, sorry, Neapolitanian Mastiff in 2004. 
24 puppies. Can you imagine? It's a lot of puppy chow. It's a lot of puppy chow. So we all know what happens next. The dogs get rescued. No dogs were hurt in the making of this film. They didn't get skinned. Corella ends up in a pot of mud, I think is what it was. She gets carried off by the police. The police go to Anita and Roger and they say, hey, there were 84 other puppies that we rescued from Corella's house. If you don't take them, something bad could happen. We're going to have to take them to the shelter. So Anita and Roger are like, okay, we'll take the 84 dogs. And they go live on this big, in this big castle with 101 Dalmatians. Now, here's where I think the plot line falls apart a little bit. Um, first of all, 15 puppies. They were planning on keeping the 15 dogs already prior to this, which already an insane thing to do. They lived in a townhouse at the time in London, okay? And they were pregnant and had a kid on the way. If I met a guy with 15 dogs, I don't, I love dogs. I would run for the hills because it would make me think something is wrong with this person. I, I would agree with that. Unless he was very, 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 very wealthy and had a castle and a big, beautiful, like outdoor space where his 15 Australian shepherds were frolicking in the wildflowers. I can get on board with that because it might also mean that he needs his own airplane to transport his family around in. This um, this sounds kind of appealing, Anya. I might be the uh, the counterpoint to that. You make good points, but let's be real. I want more of the attention on me. So <laughs> who is giving all the attention to all these dogs, right? <laughs> like, He's hired good. help, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> right. Obviously, he would have hired help. You are making excellent points right now, for sure. It just seems, it, it, it's a little wacky to me, but then 101 dogs, is, is that, is there a limit on your end, no matter how rich this person is? <laughs> you know, I wish I could say yes, but uh, rich and eccentric, sign me up. <laughs> oh man, we are very different people. <laughs> very different. Yeah, I I think the moral of the story though, is that, this Corella would have never had the opportunity to steal their dogs if they had just gotten Pongo and Perdita spayed and neutered, right? Like that should have been the the closing caption of the film is <laughs> if you don't want Corella to come after your dogs, spay and neuter them. <laughs> right. No, but seriously, like, because it's, I mean, these are, the animals being featured, the dogs being featured, they're puppies. It's not like it's 101 full-grown, you know, dogs that are graying at the whiskers and all that. They're cute little puppies, which doesn't really do justice to, like, the full duration of time that will be spent with those animals. Now, in the live-action film, how many dogs do you think were used to actually make this movie? I'm guessing, what, like 100, 150? So, 
they had 230 Dalmatian puppies for the film. And part of the reason is, I'm not sure, but part of the reason why they had to use so many puppies is because, you know, filming takes a while. So they're trying to show them at a certain age. So they would have to, every couple weeks, basically replace the litters of puppies with new litters because they were too big. They were getting oh, a little too big. What did they and do then, about the puppies that had special like markings? Did they did they just film all of those close ups like immediately and bank them? Like, oh my god, what a crazy process! I don't think people were paying too much attention, probably, to all the spots, right? As far as uh, where spots were on certain dogs, because there were twenty adult dogs that were used for Pongo and Perdita. So, I mean, so in total, they had 250 dogs that were used to make this film. And apparently Jeff Daniels, for his character, he had to put like peanut butter and stuff on his face so that the dogs would lick him and get to like him better because I guess initially they didn't like him. And then when Glenn Close was dressed as Cruella, the dogs were really scared of her. when she was in uniform for her character. (laughs) So these are some factoids around the movie itself. Um, But in the original movie, the animated film, uh, let's see, Mike, hold on just a second. Sorry. I'm my notes. Um, So Mark Davis was Uh, the illustrator for the animated film and he based Cruella's uh, image off of a woman um, whose name was Brockman uh, Tolua Bankhead who was born to the Brockman Bankhead family which was a prominent Alabama political family and apparently she was just like this crazy socialite who did drugs slept with men and women was very wild, was known for being a partier. And like, you know, during the time and like the forties, thirties during this time, like it was obviously not seen as very uh, proper for a woman to behave in this way, but she just did not care. She didn't care. She just lived life by her rules, did whatever he want, she wanted. And so Mark was inspired by this woman and kind of developed Corella's uh, personality in the animated film around her, which I found very interesting. Um, the that animated so interesting. again, crazy eccentric people. The animated film has generated $330 million while the live action has generated $320 million. And it is said that the animated film saved Disney at the time because they used a new technique with Xerox for animation that saved time in animating films. And this was the first time that they had done it was with 101 Dalmatians and Walt Disney did not really like this new technique because he really liked the style that they had in previous films, but it was just becoming too costly to do things the way that they were doing things at the time to make as many movies as they were making. So they had to use this new technique to save time and to save money. It saved Disney. So we have 101 Dalmatians to thank for Disney being saved. And now Ron 
Santas is trying to tear it all down. <laughs> One Mickey Mouse ear at a time. <laughs> I thought the, I mean, obviously I loved it. I thought the animated series was super well done. It's the animation itself and one of my favorite parts of that aspects of that film was how the dogs would alternate between talking in a human voice and in English, but then barking. And when the the screenwriters chose to have the dogs be dogs and when they chose them to be more like people. And I really enjoyed kind of following that that contrast throughout the film. It has been so long since I've watched the animated film that I do not remember it very well at all. And there and when I rewatched it last night, the live action, there was so much that I didn't remember. And I don't know if I if I had watched it with the lens that I did as an adult yesterday, if I had that lens when I was a child, I probably would not have liked the movie. <laughs> but as you can imagine, th- this movie really um it ended up having some negative impacts on the breed of Dalmatians because it kind of created this frenzy where everyone wanted to adopt a Dalmatian after seeing it. I was one of those kids. I begged my parents. I begged my parents. Begging didn't work. I did not get my way. And it's probably a good thing because what ended up happening is after the film was, and well, actually in anticipation of the film's release, a lot of animal rights activists would stand outside theaters passing out information around the breed because they anticipated that this was going to cause people to end up adopting a bunch of Dalmatians or buying Dalmatians without people really realizing the work that goes into this type of breed. And in South Florida, after that movie was released, they saw a 35% increase in Dalmatian returns. Um, And then after the film's release as well, the number of Dalmatian puppies registered by the American Kennel Club was skyrocketed from 8,100 to over 42,000 Dalmatians in the U.S. after the film was released. And I, you know, Dalmatian, it's, it's terrible. Yeah. You know, it, I think what's, we sometimes underestimate how much media impacts us, right. In terms of how it influences things that we want and desire. And I like to think of myself as someone that is not an easily influenced person, but that's just me trying to make myself feel better from all the purchases that I make that are targeted towards me. Um, But I was reading other things as well around other films that include animals. um, And another film is Finding Nemo. And Nemo was irresistible to a lot of people at the time. And like sales of clownfish rose by 40%. And it ended up putting the clownfish on the endangered species list. Like these movies, as heartwarming and cute and fun as they are, they can have negative side effects after their release. Yeah, I think there was a movie recently, or was it the Channing Tatum movie? It was a Belgian, I feel like we like, referenced it on one of our other Called episodes. Dog. But yeah, yeah. So, you know, again, similar concern. You know, everyone's going to want one of these because it's cute or smart or exciting in the moment. And then um, actually it's, 
it takes a lot of time and effort and money you know, to do that well. Yeah. Dalmatians were bred in the Adriatic coastal region of Dalmatia, Croatia. <laughs> so I love, the, I love the name. I love the name. I love that it's Dalmatia, Croatia <laughs> is where Dalmatians are from. Um, but they have served as war dogs. They have served as fire department mascots. They hunt shepherds, performers. They are very, very intelligent, smart dogs. Uh, they've also been used as a carriage dog before, as guard dogs for horse-drawn vehicles. Um, and the connection between Dalmatians and firefighters dates back further, uh, more than a century. And when the fire alarm would ring, Dalmatians were trained to bark at bystanders to alert them that fire wagons were leaving the station. Um, so Dalmatians have played an important role in our worlds that I didn't even think about as well. Um, and they were actually the breed that was originally chosen for the mascot of Budweiser before Clydesdales became what? their official mascot. Yeah. That is insane. I didn't know either of those things. Yeah. Um, Budweiser even more if they picked a Dalmatian. <laughs> a bunch of little kids are going to start drinking beer. Right, right. But these dogs, I mean, if you just think about the roles that they've been designated for, right? Like they are working dogs. They're very, very high energy. They're very intelligent. They also are more prone to deafness and to urinary tract diseases. So they have to be on a special diet. And this is something that people didn't know or take into consideration, right? When they're just running to all these different breeders, trying to buy up a bunch of Dalmatians. And what ended up happening in particular, because these dogs are so high energy, they would end up be getting destructive or kind of aggressive. And if there were young children in the house, that became problematic. And so these dogs, as I was doing research, they are actually very loyal and sweet and kind, gentle dogs. But my guess is the the stereotype that Dalmatians have to a certain degree is that people say they're aggressive. It's not that they actually are. It's just that people don't know how to raise a Dalmatian, right? And so it just turns into this dog that has all this pent-up energy that literally doesn't know what to do with it because you've just locked them up all the time and they're not getting any exercise. Yeah, which is, I mean, any working dog is going to have that. And again, it just like goes back to, you have to do your homework. I mean, it's like having a kid, you know, what does this actually entail? And nobody isn't entitled to any of these things. And if you're not going to do your research on what you're getting, whether it's, you know, a dog that needs a serious amount of stimulation or like you're going to try to get a pet fox or something from the woods like people do this stuff and there's like you wonder like how brain dead these people are but it happens all the time I mean we have talked about this a lot in terms of just doing your research before you get a specific breed I mean even before you adopt a dog from a shelter you should do your research even if it's a mixed breed to better understand the personality traits of the breeds that it's mixed with now I can't say that I did that with Ruthie. I just saw her sweet little face, but I did get to meet her in person and she was very calm and sweet. The couple meet and greets that I did with her that I had a good sense that she wasn't going to be like 
some wild, rabid dog going crazy in my apartment. And I turned out to be right. She does nothing all day. Sometimes I forget that I have a dog because she's so quiet. Um, But it does make me wonder, you know, with these movies, what is the responsibility of these studios who use animals as props? I mean, because at the end of the day, right, like these Dalmatians were props in a film. And hopefully they were all treated very well and that there wasn't any um, abuse or anything that happened on set. But it ends up putting these dogs in a really bad position that they otherwise wouldn't have been in had the movie not been made. And it's like, is it worth it that these movies were made for entertainment if it meant that thousands upon thousands of dogs were then abandoned or sometimes euthanized? because people didn't know how to take care of that type of animal. Oh man. That's like so is your childhood that. memory worth it, Julia? Oh, totally. <laughs> totally. But it also, but it, you know, it made me want a dog and we got them. And so I, I really go back and forth on this. It's like, if you know that, like with animal welfare is it better to restrict how many of these animals are going to people and who gets them or is it better to build broader understanding and empathy you know for animals and what they require and what's needed to take care of them i i don't know i mean again you're hoping that people aren't total dumbasses and you know especially today like there is from the majority of people there at least in the United States, there is no excuse for not being able to look up something on the internet. Every Most people have access to a cell phone and to a public library with internet. If you have a question, you can Google it. So to say, I didn't know something, it's like, well, there's a difference between like, yeah, you didn't have the information and it didn't like occur in your pea-sized brain to go seek it out. How many times have I asked you for an answer for something that I could have easily Googled? <laughs> All the time. Oh my God. <laughs> You're my search engine. Where's the link to this this file and the, the Google Drive folder that we share? Oh, I don't know, Anya. Maybe if you typed it in, it would pop up. <laughs> no, I mean I don't I don't disagree with you completely. And I I honestly though I think <laughs> I think I'm just becoming more of a pessimist just generally speaking though. I don't think we can teach empathy. I don't know how you do that. I don't know how you teach people to care and to be compassionate for other living beings because people I I'm just I feel like people in a lot of ways are just inherently selfish and if we want something we will do our best to try and go get it and you know, there. I'm going to sound a little judgy right now. And if you're a listener and you hear this and you feel judged, I am judging you. Uh, there's this woman <laughs> at the dog park who has this gorgeous, sweet, pity puppy um, who's probably about like six, seven months old. And she just went through her first heat cycle. And she's thinking about breeding this dog because she wants to have a puppy from this dog's litter. And I didn't say anything to her other than like, oh, well, what, you know, 
you live in an apartment. How would you manage having all these puppies? Cause you have to have them for a few weeks before you can adopt them out. Like trying to find ways to gently discourage her from deciding to do that. Because I think just forcefully impregnating a dog so that you can have a puppy from that litter is just it's kind of terrible. Cruel. And I just don't know, like, I, I don't understand that type of thinking as far as why you would want to do something like that, just for the sake of it. And it it goes back, I mean, my parents knew better than I did, right? As far as when I was begging, there were two dogs that I really wanted growing up. A Jack Russell, because I loved the show Wishbone and a Dalmatian. Now, two of the most high energy breeds and like really intelligent dogs that need a lot of stimulation that a kid could ask for. And let's, let's be honest, I was not going to do any training. I was just going to play with the dog and it was going to be my friend. Um, so my parents made the right choice because they knew better. Um, and my parents are not very easily influenced by media, except my dad, Fox News. Uh, but... <laughs> If Trump told him that Dalmatians are the best dog, my dad would adopt a Dalmatian. <laughs> I but, mean, if Budweiser had adopted them, uh, I guess Fox would have adopted them too. Right, right. But I don't know. I just don't think... I, I do think there is something, though, that maybe studios could do. I mean, think about how much money they've made off of this film, right? Like... I I don't know. I didn't see anything when I was doing my research in terms of if Disney ended up putting any money towards rescue for these Dalmatians that ended up needing to be rehomed or being put in shelters, what type of money they maybe spent on educating people. And I mean, you think about these films are very much targeted towards kids too, right? And kids will annoy the shit out of their parents to get what they want and parents sometimes just cave because they don't want to be bothered anymore or they want to be the the good guy. What if at the end of these movies, they put up, yeah, like a disclaimer at the end and just said, here's how much it's going to cost you to have one of these dogs for the next 10 years. Well, and and the giant number pop up and it's like, Oh, okay. That was a cute, cute thing, but we're not doing this. Well, I I believe it was either the film, The 102 Dalmatians, or the Cruella film that Emma Stone played Cruella. They did put some sort of disclaimer on, like, don't go run out and adopt a bunch of Dalmatians. (laughs) But that was, like, the extent of it is it wasn't like, uh, there wasn't, like, a hotline that they put up or anything, or a resource line. So... I it, this makes me want to dive more deeply into other Disney movies to see what impact was made from animals who were the main focus of the film and how it impacted people's I guess perception of those animals. I mean Dumbo would be a great one, right? Because I think it definitely changed people's perception of the circus, right? And the abuse that animals go through by being part of the circus. That was actually my favorite film growing up oh, was I remember Dumbo. That. I watched I watched that a bajillion times. But you know, you it's hard to adopt an elephant. So <laughs> so maybe that film had more of a positive impact in the sense of maybe curtailing people from going to a circus 
and maybe caring more about the endangerment of elephants and making sure that type of wildlife is protected. But I don't know, I guess we're going to have to do an episode on that one. Yeah. I mean, now I'm thinking like Disney characters and of all the animal characters, the one that looks the least cute and like a real animal is Mickey. And I wonder why they decided to do that. Like, it does not look like a mouse. It looks weird. I hate Mickey. Just like as a what construct. About, you hate Minnie? I don't like Minnie either. They both look dumb. And if they looked like real mice, I would like Anatole or like Ratatouille. Like, that's cute. Mickey, not cute. And I don't think anybody was running out to buy mice after looking at Mickey. So I wonder, yeah, I wonder how they made that choice to make him more of a a less uh, anatomically accurate animal than a lot of their others. <laughs> you wanted him to look like an actual mouse. It'd be cuter. You think it'd be cuter? I'd have to see a side-by-side. I'd have to see like a guy in a, a Mickey costume now. and then a guy in a straight up mouse costume to see, you know, who I'd be into more. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. It, I, I'm, I'm going to watch 102 Dalmatians sometime in the next week. I'll, I'll give you my review on that on our own. I won't make listeners, uh, hear my whole thing on that but um i love that this movie was inspired by a woman though i'm not gonna lie that a woman wrote the book that inspired this film and that her legacy is this is the story right and that it was really rooted in the love of her nine dalmatians that she had like that is, i mean she had a lot of dogs so Two. sweet now i want to read a biography on her that'll be my summer there is reading. one out there is one out okay i'm gonna find that julia i think you should close this out oh no i can't anya you do it so well like honestly it's my favorite part of when we record not just because it means that i can leave um <laughs> but i really do love the um you bring a certain vibe to our ending so i insist Okay. Well, for all five five of you that listen, our parents and one of our siblings, uh, (laughs) (laughs) follow us on Instagram at the furfluencers, go to our website at thefurfluencers.com to sign up for our newsletter, like, and subscribe on Spotify and iTunes and don't be spotty with your support of us. Get it? Dalmatian spots. (laughs) Thanks, everybody.